Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Hello and welcome to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Distro, and today we are looking at the top five interviews of 2020. But before we get into those, I just want to say thank you for listening. The podcast has officially turned one year old and it's crazy to think that in a year where there hasn't been really any new movies and the whole landscape of watching movies has completely changed that I've been able to do a podcast entirely about movies. I've had to kind of shift how I do this podcast and kind of what I set out to do, but I think was able to create something fun here and something that you guys have been listening to and really kind of supporting me in. And I see you guys like the day one listeners that were there from the very first episode want to say really appreciate that. And the fact that you have listened every single week, told a friend about it, subscribed, done all those things really means a lot to me because this really just started as a passion project. And I was just I'm just a guy who loves movies. Like, basically, that's it. If you don't know my story, I am a writer and producer on The Bobby Bone Show. And that was kind of my role on that show, just being the go-to movie expert. And I would review movies on my Instagram. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I could turn this into something. And from there, I've taken movie reviews and made them a part of this podcast and really just made it something that allows me to be creative and kind of get this passion of mine a place to live. And a thing that's really kind of new to me is doing interviews. I've never really done them before until I started this podcast, but I wanted to talk to directors. I wanted to talk to actors. So I was like, all right, I got to step a little bit out of my comfort zone to get these interviews. And that's what I kind of started doing a lot this year. So what I am looking at is just my favorite moments and cool people I've been able to talk to on this podcast. So we'll get right into it. Starting out at number five with Jonathan Lipnicki, who you would know as the kid from Jerry Maguire. He was also in Stuart Little, like Mike. Here's my conversation with him. And when you do your first movie, you're five years old, you do Jerry Maguire. Like, I don't remember anything from when I was five years old, but yet you have a film where you're in and you're five years old. Like, do you remember actually being on set and filming that movie? Like bits and pieces, it's like glimpses at this point or like small things I'll remember that are really weird. Like, oh, I remember how that piece of wardrobe looked or smelled or like, you know, but um, a lot of it lives through the stories my family tells. And, you know, my mom was around a lot for, you know, most of my family, it was my mom. 
and my mom between my mom and my dad like that's kind of my source of a lot of the memory you know um but yeah it's it's you know each year goes by and it's like just been a part of me um you know and so it's here and there you know here and there definitely the memories that scene though with you and tom cruise where you're going back and forth with facts is there anything you remember about like working with tom cruise and that like did he help you like like guide throughout that process of like learning the lines or yeah, anything like that? Yeah. You know, he's, 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 he's a great guy. And he, I'm really lucky that my first project was with him. He's the ultimate professional. He taught me what professionalism is. And um, I learned a lot. And I also just, it harnessed my love for doing this and making me realize I want to do this for the rest of my life. How long after that movie did you realize like, Oh, I'm famous. Like people who are like recognizing me, like how long after that did that happen? Uh, you know, when it came out, uh, like it was just like a kind of a, uh, interesting thing. I, I didn't quite grasp officially when like, you know, when, when, when I first got recognized, I was like, like I didn't really quite understand it. Um, I, I don't think you can ever understand it, no matter if you're a kid or, kid or an adult, um, because you're the person living it. So you don't really like understand what it means to other people. You know, you just understand what it's meant to you and how you've lived through these circumstances in your life. But, you know, it's an interesting thing. You know, it's really, it's really an interesting thing, especially at a young age. I think one of my favorite movies as a kid was Stuart Little. Um, when you're doing that movie, like, what are you looking at when you're acting? Is there just like a little green screen thing or something? Uh, a piece of tape a lot of the time. So it's just a, a tape. Lot of time was a piece of tape or like a laser, a laser pointer, <laughs> you know, sometimes they had a little, little doll, but of Stuart, but like a lot of times it was like tape, you know, just talking to tape. <laughs> At number four is my talk with director Rod Lurie, director of the outpost, a movie I really wasn't expecting to like, but ended up being one of my favorite movies of 2020. And he was a really cool guy. I felt like we had a chance to kind of geek out a little bit on Christopher Nolan and just war movies. So I put this one at number four. So I just watched your movie and I got to say, it's like not only one of the best movies I've seen this year, but I think one of the best war movies I've ever seen. So just want to say congrats on well, that. Well, thank you very much. I mean, look, it's, you know, making a war film, it's uh it's a tough bit of business, and I'm glad we succeeded in in uh, in your mind. You know, I'm, I'm a massive, massive war film fan, and a few years ago, I went to see that movie called Dunkirk, that Chris Nolan film. Oh yeah, it's a great one. And it was it was just so amazingly creative and um, and uh, and energetic, and just so full of cinematic life that it, you know it really did it really inspired me. I mean, we don't shoot in that style at all, but. It just inspired me to, you know, have high aspirations on the making of our film. Talking about on like Dunkirk and having like that feeling of being in the action, is that kind of where you drew some of that inspiration for this, like the fight sequences? Well, I mean, the idea inside, inside um, we tried to accomplish it in a much different way than, than Dunkirk did. Dunkirk, I think, was a little bit more objective than our film is. This film is, is very subjective. It's very much with the men on the ground. You know, for the battle sequence, I used a single camera and just followed soldiers throughout the course of the battle. You know, we never shot away. We never cut away. And so we really were intending to, to put um, the audience into a full immersive um, experience in this, you know, in this battle, which was the, probably the most heroic battle of the, um, of the Afghanistan war. 
How exactly do you do that? Because I know like 1917, they did that where the whole movie was in one shot. So what is that process right. of like, is it all in editing or are you really doing it all in one shot? Well, okay. So, the, you know, you just, you just said something really interesting there because uh, on, on the one hand, you, you just said that the Dunkirk is all, I'm sorry, that uh, 1917, which by the way is a masterpiece, a fantastic movie, one of my favorites, um, is all done in one shot. But in, in fact, the greatness, the cinematic technical achievement of 1917 is that it gave the appearance of being in one shot. I don't know how many cuts I counted as a, as a pro and some that I missed, I'm sure, but you know, there are dozens and dozens of cuts in, in that film. And in our film, the, those lengthy sequences, there's very little what we call stitching, you know, cutting together two, um, two shots seamlessly to make it appear as one. We really had to rehearse and re- because we just didn't have the budget to do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we actually had to sh- shoot these things in, in oneers, and it, it was no easy feat. So you have this movie. It's, you know, very big and cinematic, and I found it a little weird watching it, like, on my laptop now because of what's going on, movie oh, theaters being shut right. down. How does that feel for you, like, having this movie coming out and knowing that people won't get that full cinematic experience? Well, I mean, there, 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 there are variations on that. Like, if, if I'm being perfectly honest with you, it's sort of basically hard to, to see that anybody watches it on a laptop. And one person told me they watched it on the phone, which, like, completely severs, severs my heart. Because, you know, I, I shot this for the big screen. Yeah. I made it for the big screen. It's, you know, especially the sound work is made for the big screen. Um, but, you know, look, life is what it is right now. And... And um, and I fully expect that it's going to stay this way pretty much forever. Uh, I think that anytime anybody makes a film that is not a Captain, you know, Marvel film or Star Wars or James Bond, that you know they should anticipate that it's primarily going to be seen on people's home systems. So, you know, all that all that I'd ask is that you know when you do see the film, you know, is try to see it in the best experience possible, the biggest screen you got, the best sound, because. We sure worked our asses off, yeah. uh, you know, to get to, to, you know, to try and, and accomplish that. You know, like I know that, um, you know, I'm in the Motion Picture Academy. So when uh, Chris is going back to Dunkirk, when when we got our DVD box for Dunkirk, I um, I opened it up and there was a note from Chris Nolan saying, come on, man, <laughs> go see this in the theater. And um, and that's really what I was uh, what I was hoping for. Well, speaking of Christopher Nolan, I saw a story recently that, he says he doesn't allow chairs on set because if you're sitting, you're not working. Is there any kind right. of role like that you have on set? That's uh, th- that's interesting. I do the reverse thing is that um, I don't allow myself to sit. You know, I, I literally don't have a chair on set. You know, look, look I when I uh, when I was a cadet at West Point, um, there is a rule that the cadets don't sit throughout the game. You stand with the team, you know, while they're on their feet, you're on your feet. You're the 12th man. And so I've uh, I've done this throughout my entire career, and especially on a movie like this, where I'm asking the actors, I'm asking the crew to be so physically um, fit and so physically involved in the film um, that you know, as long as they're on their feet, I'm going to be on on my feet. But I do let the actors sit, especially when uh, when there is um, so much running and gunning and exhaustion involved in the making of this film. I mean, like. This thing was a, was a motherfucker, man. It was, <laughs> it was un- unbelievable, you know, what these actors had to go through. So speaking of that, working with the actors, what's it like to direct a guy like Orlando Bloom, such a veteran actor, and you're having to, you know, direct him in a very intense way? Well, you know, 
here's the thing that I learned after I made my first film, which is that there is no, there's no one system fits all for directing actors. Everybody, everybody is different and everyone needs to be directed differently. Some actors come with a very specific mindset of how they want to play a role and others are craving direction and others want to, you know, want to completely, uh, completely uh, mix it up. You know, uh, with with Orlando, Orlando is a vet. He does, you know, he did spend some time with the father of the guy he's portraying. Um, the guy's portray, portraying is uh, was a guy named Ben Keating, one of certainly a, a war hero, and um, he got to, you know, he got to know him as best as best he could. You know, but he's not alive anymore. But um, but he did look to me, and he looked to the military advisors for how to behave militarily. Although he. Uh, as he's certainly, you know, maybe he did Black Hawk Down, so he has um, some some experience with it. But you're right, he he's he's a vet, and uh, you know, needs a little less direction than most. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it: I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, and then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I.com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer songwriter and composer John Batiste the all-new Infinity QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to netsuite.com slash stereo right now. netsuite.com slash stereo. netsuite.com slash stereo. At number three is actor Sean Whalen, who you've probably seen in a lot of things. And he's in one of my favorite movies of all time, Twister. And I saw him on TikTok and reached out to him and he was like, yeah, I'll do the podcast. So I got to ask him all my questions about one of my favorite movies, Twister, and it was awesome. So when you first get this part of Alan in it, like, how was that character described to you? Uh, it kind of wasn't. They just don't really, it was very open. They, we were just the storm chasers and that we, the only thing we were told is Alan Ruck and myself were told that we were in charge of navigation. Now, you know, this was the 90s, so there was no uh, apps or, you know, Google Maps or anything like that or Waze or anything. So we were in charge of what is the best way to get the closest and safest to the tornado or in the quickest, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the only thing we knew is that's who we were. So I kind of came, but they did give us the costume. You know, we went book fitting. And you saw the kind of costume I had with the backwards baseball hat, the Bugs Bunny shirt, things like that. So I kind of came up with anything about that character myself. But while we hung out with each other so much, things just came in the movie were, that were just kind of like us pulling around, like Philip Seymour Hoffman and I going like, food, food with our fingers. Oh, yeah. um, that is, uh, that was because that was what we were doing that summer, the fingers thing. And we would joke around like that whenever we wanted something, we'd go, yes, yes, you know what I'm So we did, we did that in the movie. Food. Food. Hey, we're absolutely not going. At the end of the movie, you can see people playing rock, paper, scissors as the helicopter goes away. So this is all stuff that we used to do hanging out. But but it is funny now that I'm putting these things on uh, TikTok and stuff, how much people actually liked the cast yeah. and liked the camaraderie and saw that we were friends. Because seriously, 90% of us, I mean... I mean, we all got along really well. Yeah, what's so great about it is first, the cast is just an amazing group of actors and then i feel like it's you identify with them being kind of the underdog storm chaser group and i think that's kind of what also people just loved about it like oh it's these just group of people who are like using their own vehicles basically against the big corporate you know storm chasers yeah i mean what was crazy was they cast all these i mean anthony rapp star of broadway's rent the you know originator of the role in rent he was on the bad guy team. You hardly saw him. So they had all these yeah. characters. Abe and Ruby had been around in tons of things. They had this big group of young actors and then just chose who was uh, on what team. You brought up that line about, you know, the food, that food scene. Do you? Ha- yeah. And I think that's kind of something that there's a bunch of like quotes and lines from this movie that I felt over the years has become part of my vocabulary. Like I use that part oh when I'm talking God. about dinner, like food. Yeah. Yeah. It's- so funny so many people will say stuff oh my god i get i used to be known for the milk commercial and say you know you're the milk guy we'll talk about that a little bit later but i would get that all the time and now after all these years everybody's saying fold the map or don't don't (laughs) fold the map don't fold the map and so when i sign pictures i have a picture you know i do these live things where i sign autograph uh photos on tiktok in the afternoons on fridays i do it today but I sign on that one. There's a picture of me and Alan Ruck by those haystacks, and I write, fold the map, <laughs> instead of, don't fold the map. 
because, you know, people were like, did you actually fold them or not? And I go, well, of course I did. I just lied to them. <laughs> fold the maps. I didn't fold the map. You told me to roll the map, so I folded them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's just so funny that, uh, yeah, the, the lexicon and people are saying uh, the wonder of nature, you know, Phil's line. And uh, everyone loves, you know, cows. And that's the same cow, you know, those lines, all these lines. It's, it's just, I, I had no idea. But I think it really tapped into this zeitgeist right now, which is really a lot of 90s nostalgia, you know? Mm-hmm. So when when you guys are filming this movie, a lot of it is, you know, the CGI tornado, the twister in the movie. What are you actually seeing when you're on set? What, what do they tell you to look at or envision in your mind? They, they, they would just point in directions. They would just point in a certain direction. And, you know, we were just looking up a lot. They didn't have, there was very few times that we had anything in the sky because it would be too high. You know, a lot of times mm-hmm. they'll do in movies, you know, if there's something weird supposed to be right in front of you, they'll stick it on a pole or they'll have someone in a suit or something. But it was way too high up. So they would just tell us, you know, where to look. And and right before you do the shot, you'd be in the truck and they're like, okay, where is it? And, you know, they'd say, okay, it's around, you know, 10 o'clock, you know, straight ahead of midnight, it's 10 o'clock and then up. You know, and then they go, up, 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 up. Okay, good. That looks good. Look there. You know? <laughs> and that's what we would do, you know? And y'all filmed a lot of this we, in Oklahoma, right? Yeah. Uh, 90% of it was in uh, Oklahoma, around the, some all around the state of Oklahoma. So I remember Bill Paxton back in, like, 2010, when he was still alive, mm-hmm. he was talking about possibly doing, like, a Twister 3D version. And yeah. But was there, before... You know, we've lost Bill Paxton and Philip Seymour Hoffman since. Was there ever a talk? I know there's a reboot happening now, but was there ever a talk with the original cast to do a part two? Bill had been pushing that for so long. Like, he was trying to take meetings around town. And and I remember seeing him at the writer's strike in, like, 2002, 2003. um, And we were talking about it. He just said, you know, it's, it's crazy. Because he said there's never been a huge blockbuster like that that doesn't get a sequel. Yeah. Like, it, it was unheard of. Jurassic Park and, I mean, uh, everything that did that well always had some sort of a sequel. So, it was, it, it, so he was going around pitching it. And I remember thinking, all right, well, the Twister hits a big city, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they'd have to kind of call us in to try to help people and, you know, have the fun of, like, a wacky dealing with straight-laced city scientists. Or, you know, I don't know why it never got made. I mean, it could be, listen, Bill and Helen were, didn't get along that well just because they were so, so, so different mm-hmm. in the way they were trained as actors and just their, you know, approaches to life. She's definitely more quiet and reserved. He was definitely gregarious or whatever. And then big and he was so excited because he'd been in the trenches for a long time uh being a side character and he was finally getting a lead you know she'd been a lead on a big tv show and stuff like that so there were different points in their life different philosophies and things like that so i don't know if that has something to do with it too you know yeah it's still weird to me because i think that's not a big deal they replace people all the time if helen didn't want to do it it would be bill and someone else or it would just be bill um uh, or just Helen with someone else. You know what I mean? Like, I don't really know why they never did. But maybe it was just because the tornadoes were expensive. I don't know. But it was a huge hit. I mean, it made a lot of money. So how do you feel now, like, 25 years later, them saying they're going to reboot it? 
Uh, I mean, I it, it makes sense to me. I mean, listen, like I said, there's a there's a big when I was growing up in the seventies, everyone was into the fifties. You know, because mm-hmm. it, we had sock tops and we had American graffiti and happy days and things like that. And we had these rock and roll revival shows. There's always like this love of 20 years earlier. So there's huge 90s love, right? And now that studios are owned, owned by big corporations, the risk taking is a lot less, you know. So they want to dive. It's the perfect timing. It's perfect timing because that's what people want is these names that they know. And in no way could I have known that Twister meant so much to so many people until I started doing conventions and doing these TikToks and things like that. And no way in the world. So it's crazy. At number two, I'm putting the host of the Bobby Bones show, who also happens to be my friend, Bobby Bones. And what some people might not know is that he is actually an actor. He was in a movie called Band Slam from 2009, and I got to ask him all about that. And he's never really talked about this movie before until this interview. I did an episode a couple weeks ago about one-hit wonder actors, and you actually submitted yourself for Band Slam. Did I? Yeah. Was that on Instagram Story? On Instagram Story. So people may not know, but back in 2009, you were in a movie called Band Slam. So I had five questions for you about that movie. That was 2009? 2009. I had that dopey hair at 29 years old. (laughs) Holy crap. Wow. Okay, go ahead. All right. So Band Slam, 2009. Did you audition for it? Yeah. You did? I did. Man, I haven't thought about this since that. Wow, I did audition for that movie. What was that like? Someone called me and said, hey, they're doing this movie. They're shooting it in Austin because they can use the University of Texas theater and music. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was cheaper to shoot movies in Texas at the time. Now Louisiana is a big hub for movies. It was until recently. It's all about taxes, right? Mm -hmm. That's why a lot of stuff is in Canada. Because you can shoot it for less. Mm -hmm. So they're like, they're shooting this. But they have a, a role of a guy named Gordy, which was my name at first who hosts the big competition, you have some lines, you're, you're, uh, it's like, at the time it was like 19 lines. It got cut way down to nine, I think, by the time it was over. But you have like 19 lines, but they need someone who's like, you know, in his 20s and is cool. And I was like, well, I'm in my not, 20s. I'm not that cool. <laughs> so uh, I went and there was a long line wrapped around the building of guys that were good looking, like, Lots of hair gel, lots of the actor type. Yeah. Uh, and so I went in a pair of jeans and a white t shirt because I didn't know what I was doing. I, th- I remember thinking I was going to be the only one at the audition because I thought they just had it ready for me. I was like, oh, I got invited to do this movie. And it was a I bunch of people. Re- <laughs> and it was a bunch of people. So I went into this room. This is just a room, like a bedroom at a house. And there were two people sitting behind a long table. And they were like, okay, read your lines. I didn't memorize mine. I guess most people did because I had my script in my hand. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh, can you believe they're going to play the show here this way? Man, they're never going to. And they were like, all right, thank you very much. And I left. That was it. I never thought I was going to get a call back because it didn't go well in the room, I thought. Yeah. Because they showed me no emotion. Nothing. It was like, wow, that was great. They didn't say it was great or it was good. They were just like, all right, thanks a lot. All right, thanks. <laughs> and I walked in. I was like, dang, I must have really sucked. <laughs> and they called me back and they said, hey, you're one of the, the, the best ones. Come back again. Went back again. I was the only person there the second time. I think they, were, they just had to spread out a little more. And then I got a call and said, hey, you're in, and you're considered because you have the, this many, many lines, you're a principal actor. And so I had my own trailer. I, had, I was on the biggest level with the lowest am- amount of work and money. Wow. Like I was, if in the A-list part of that movie, it was Vanessa Hudgens, it was Lisa Kudrow, Phoebe from Friends, it was Scott, who was in Friday Night Lights. Yeah. I forgot Scott's last name. Um, 
So there were these actors, and of the A principles, I was the bottom of the barrel, but I was higher than all the extras and mids. So I had my own umbrella carrier to make sure my makeup went sweat. I had, nice. had all, got all my clothes. I had a trailer. It was crazy. I got paid three or four thousand dollars a day. Oh wow! For about seven days, I remember making about twenty, twenty-eight, twenty-nine thousand dollars on that movie for a week's work. That's pretty good. Yeah, it wasn't what they made, obviously. Yeah, but that's what I got. You uh, still get checks from it? Yeah, but it's like cents. Yeah, three cents, twelve cents. Sometimes I'll get a dollar ten or something like that. So that that was that movie. How many days did you actually film? Uh, a week. I mean, it was a week straight. I, the, the thing that stunk was, again, I was a principal, so they kept us all together. We ate together. And again, I didn't know anybody because I wasn't a real actor. I didn't know any of them. So I, they didn't really let me in their cool group. And they would all, pretty much all the principal actors were like, all right, we're going to go play Super Nintendo and we're going to have this party. I was never invited to anything um, because they didn't know me. And I also had the radio show. So I'd do the radio show all morning and go straight over. So some of the bonding stuff, it was late at night. I couldn't go to anyway, but I never really got invited to do anything. Did you end up meeting all the co-stars? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Lisa Kudrow was really nice. We sat in a makeup chair beside each other for like an hour one day, and she was super nice. It was really good. She played the mom on that, that movie. Yeah. Um, it was really the only time we spoke. But yeah, I met her. Vanessa Hudgens was okay. Um, the Scott, I don't know his last name, but he was, he was really nice. Are you surprised that it has an 81% rating on Rotten Tomatoes? It does. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm, I was surprised that it... When it came out that it didn't make more at the box office because I don't think it did well. It made five million opening weekend and twelve million throughout the run. While it was up. Yeah. Okay. So you're talking about a movie that didn't do that well financially, yeah. but it kept getting shown everywhere. Mm-hmm. Every time I would see uh like a weekend of rare weird movies on Disney, they would be like showing movies all it would pop up. That's where I first saw it. I saw it on TV. And I would get checks. on. It would air on TBS. It would, mm-hmm. For some reason, it still airs now occasionally because people keep sending me pictures of me with my big curly hair. Yeah, sometimes movie channels will repick it back up and put it into rotation, which sometimes people say, like, these movies bomb, but they end up making money back when they get put into syndication and stuff like that. Well, this was no big financial risk for uh, the movie makers. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> for making a movie, it was expensive, I'm sure. But I'm saying it wasn't like a hundred million dollar movie. It was twenty million. It wasn't Waterworld. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that that was fun. I forgot. Man, it's been a long time. And then, um, would you ever do another movie? It's just the time. You have to be on set and shoot things 10, 11, 12 times. Um, sure, it would be tough to do it right now. But I could if it was the right role. Do you get offered stuff? Some small stuff, yeah. but I don't put myself in the mix for it either. You mostly have to audition. Even some of the big actors have to go and audition for stuff. Yeah, and I, so I don't get offered stuff. No, as far as movies that people would see, but I do get offered to go audition for stuff, and I just never want to go do it. I, the only things I get offered are like super indie type stuff, and they just want anyone to be in it that will promote it. So that's like, hey, let's get by real because if he talks about it, people may see it. So the answer is no, not really. All right. Well, there we go. I'm a big movie star. <laughs> big it, movie am star. I your first movie star? You're my first podcast? movie star ever. Yes. First actor. Nice. And at number one, I'm putting one of my most recent interviews. It's with Christy Carlson Romano, who you would know from Even Stevens, Cadet Kelly. She's also the voice of Kim Possible, and Even Stevens was one of my favorite shows as growing up. And I brought her on for my episode about Disney Channel original movies and got to ask her all my questions about that. 
basically my 13 year old self living out his dreams. So here's that conversation. We'll talk about it now, even Steven's the movie. And I actually rewatched it last night. It's my favorite Disney Channel original movie. And I felt like at the core of this movie, it's kind of the coming age, coming of age story of Ren. And I feel like I was kind of inspired by the character again, watching this again as an adult. But I wonder if you get messages from people saying that like Ren was a role model to them. Always, always. I always, always get that, you know, and that to me is, is so important. And now more than anything, having daughters, that is huge for me too, because knowing that that legacy is out there is all I could really hope for. And so what I find ironic is when people say like, you know, oh, well, we're not going to, we don't necessarily want to come on the show because, or this is a pact, like, you know, the people that you'd think, wow, they're going to really want to be on the show. And then they just immediately pass on it. Um, I'm not sure why they pass on it, because it always seems like a really healthy, fun show to do. But it, it one would think that maybe it's because they don't necessarily want to have to talk about stuff like in the past. Yeah. And again, for me, legacy is something really special. And if you don't kind of like nurture that legacy, then what are you, what have you really accomplished? Exactly. So I felt like you and Shia, like your relationship throughout the entire series, of course, with you guys butting heads, but it really kind of all comes out in this movie. You guys work so closely together. Did he, did he ever feel like a, like a real life brother to you? Oh, I mean, we don't, we're not in touch anymore. And he's a very different person now than he was when he was a child. Um, and I never really knew him on the personal side, but when we were at work, it was encouraged for us to be sort of relating to one another as if we were really brother and sister. And I think because we had such like vastly different upbringing, uh, and vastly different worldviews, I really do think that that kind of helped our, um, our on-screen chemistry for sure. So you're saying if they made like a... Honey Boy style version of your life, it would be a lot different, right? Oh, right. Totally. I mean, yeah, unfortunately, I, I actually really didn't know that all of that was going on. I didn't realize that Shia lived in a hotel. Like I had, I had no knowledge of any of that happening. And so that just shows you how different of a life teenagers can have. Like I just was kind of only concerned with myself and my, my trying to get into college and trying to remember my lines. And like, we all had our own struggle. So this served as the, the series finale of Even Stevens. And did you know about like the 65 episode limit when you started the show? I did not really understand much. I started at 16. So syndication wasn't a word I learned until probably halfway through shooting. And then, you know, at that point I was, I was considering what my next moves were going to be. I think at a certain point you say to yourself, okay, this is great, but my agents and stuff want me to come off of this series and do something bigger. So there was pressures that started to hit right around the halfway point. So then 2003, you got the Kim Possible movie. How did you kind of make that jump from being in front of the camera to doing voice acting? So basically, again, with the synergy, right? I think that they had seen that Cadet Kelly did really well. So I think that kind of put me in the forefront of everybody's mind to cast me in something. Why vocal? I don't know. I, I don't, I never saw myself as a, um, a voice actor prior to that. I really had only done musical theater where I sang. I think we had, you know, um, a musical episode on Even Stevens that was really popular. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure I had been doing Impossible before that. So 
I, I think that they just, I was on a short list of actresses. You know, there was definitely some interesting actresses on that list. And the producers chose me. I think that the producers felt that not only was I synergistic internally to Disney corporate, but I was the best fit because I was the age of the character. And from what I was told by the producers and the creators, was that I was able to match the intent, the sarcasm, and mix it also with the action that she needs to be able to do. So I'm I'm very happy that that worked out in my, in my favor. And and when you did the Kim Possible voice, like, it, was there other kind of like interpretations of it that you tried before landing on the final voice? I think that it was very much my voice. I think that Kim Possible is still very much my voice, but now when I try to do her voice. For, you know, people and voicemails and just fun things in general for charity. Uh, I can put it on. Um, I can do it. Uh, it's not my voice anymore, but I definitely think when I was younger, it was it was a version of my voice. And then I kind of just kind of had to tailor it to what she became. I think over time, it, it became sort of this more more and more iconic version of what a teenage girl sounded like. So if you had to pick your favorite Disney Channel movie, what would it be? Oh, goodness. <laughs> That's really hard. There's so, so, so many. I don't know. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I mean, my girl Halloween Town, Tim Brown. I mean, I've, I've yeah. always loved. I've, I mean, and I think some of their newer stuff's good. You know, I think, think High School Musical did a lot for, you know, kids being able to appreciate musical theater. And I think that's really great. You know, I think that High School Musical is, I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but I do think that it was important and that it was good. And they, and, they, and I also really like, there's another movie that came out a long time ago called The Color of Friendship that won a lot of awards for Disney Channel. And I think that was about inclusion. And it was about a South African girl who comes to America and um, she becomes friends with someone in her school who is African-American. And there's just all these themes that are being talked about for young tween. They call them tweens. And these are conversations that were being had in like the early, early 2000s. So I do think that Disney has made an effort to have some harder, difficult conversations through their content. So there we go. Those are my top five interviews of 2020. I like to do more of those coming up in 2021. Be sure to listen next week when I do my top five movies of 2020, my definite list of the best things that came out last year. Thanks again for being subscribed to the podcast. You can send me an email. I'm at moviemikeD at gmail.com. If you have any suggestions for the show or just want to throw out a topic or maybe even there's somebody you think I should interview for the podcast next year, hit me up there too. And again, I am on Twitter and Instagram and all the places at Mike Distro. I will talk to you guys next Monday here on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Hope your 2021 turns out to be so much better than 2020. And until then, later. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. 
You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of 5 phones per customer. Family plan discount with 4 lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.